if you carry a ton of muscle and you're training in a way that's going to deplete that glycogen, it's almost like you're you're stimulating a fast, not so much a fast, but you're 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 pushing yourself more towards that fasting. And I think that's super interesting because there are people who who want to add muscle, but at the same time, they want to feel those benefits of, of autophagy or right. ketones are being produced and they're feeling the effects of the ketones. And I tell them that if you're training in the in the morning even, or even if in the evening, you need to understand you're going to burn through a bunch of that sugar. Then you're going to fast for eight to 10 hours. You're you're probably getting very similar effects to mm -hmm. someone who's, who's not incorporating those carbs for the workout but doesn't really work out hard and, and doesn't need to do that, you know? Body, mind, empowerment. Get stronger, faster, smarter, quicker, friendlier, more helpful, more driven. Everything the body needs. Control your mind. Welcome to the Body, Mind, Empowerment Podcast. I'm your host, Seamland, and our guest today is Danny Vega. Danny is a ketogenic powerlifter, bodybuilder, coach, and a dad. He has a master's of science in human performance, and has worked with many professional athletes. Danny, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Great to be on. Yeah, I'm uh, great to have you on the show. And I feel like that we should have done this a lot sooner. <laughs> but I'm glad, I'm glad that we could make it happen now. <laughs> and I know and we need to we need to make it happen on my podcast, too. So as soon as we stop recording here, we'll get our scheduled because we've been going <laughs> back and forth for a while. For sure. Sounds good. Um, maybe like, uh, can you give us a brief uh, background of how you get got into uh, doing keto and uh, lifting weights? Yeah, so I mean, lifting weights, that's, that's been part of my life since I was 13. I was really fortunate to have a, um, a Marine, an ex-Marine uh, coach who, who was very by the book back in the day. And he, he helped me create a really strong foundation. As far as the lifting goes, you know, he had me doing compound lifts, squat, bench, deadlift, power clean. Um, he didn't let me go up and wait until I had the form perfect. He didn't let me do single limb work. He didn't let me do bicep curls or anything like that. Um, he even gave me a, a diet that I followed that, you know, at the time it wasn't low carb or anything. It was your traditional, you know, wake up in the morning, have eggs and oatmeal, have steak and potatoes and, and beef and potatoes and, mm. um, you know, carbs and protein. And then, um, I've always been into it, but um, obviously in college, um, I was eating your typical diet, um, playing college football. And then when I got my master's, I was, I was still obviously very interested in nutrition, but at the time, you know, I kind of, if I were to say what I, I espoused, it was probably a low carb approach. I really, really liked, um, uh, what are the people, um, the Canadians, um, you know, it. Oh no, I'm thinking of an actual, an actual, oh, Dr. John Berardi. Okay. So Dr. John Berardi, uh, precision nutrition, that was the, the type of information that I followed back then. And I, I still think they're a great company and a great organization. Um, but then, you know, after you graduate from college, you have all these, um, obligations that you no longer have, like you no longer have team lifts, you no longer have, um, obligated to, to do anything. And so there were some years there that I was just having fun and I wasn't, really trying to stay consistent. And it's ironic that when I got into CrossFit in 2011 was when I, I ignited my love for lifting again. And after two years of competing in CrossFit, I realized that I was probably better off doing something more suited to who I was, you know, my body type and everything. So I got into powerlifting and um, I did that from about 2013 to 2016. And um, I was able to compete in several competitions, several meets. Um, I hit the top 
50 as well as the top 25 in my weight class. Um, I also, you know, there were a few injuries here and there, nothing crazy. And then, um, I tore my meniscus in 2015 and, um, I was trying to nurse it back to health. I didn't want to get a surgery. And in 2016, I finally had to pull out of my, my last meet because it was just really, really bad. And I officially got the diagnosis and everything. And so I said to myself, you know what? I need to lose some weight. That's probably going to help me feel better. So I went on a diet and at the time, like my friend, created a diet for me. He was a bodybuilder and it was your typical, you know, low fat diet. And over a period of four months, I lost a good 20 pounds or so. And I felt terrible. <laughs> um, I got really lean, but then I would binge eat on the weekends. And finally, after four months of that, I, I realized that it wasn't serving me. So I had a friend who was uh, doing graduate work here at University of Tampa with Dr. Wilson and Dr. Lowry. And he was always telling me about keto. And finally, in uh, June of 2016, after those several months of losing weight and, um, and doing it with the traditional approach, I switched to keto and I was no longer on a diet. I was just trying to improve my quality of life. And mm. it was brilliant because um, my carbs were low, but my fat was low already. So when I just increased my fat from switching to a ketogenic diet, I just felt amazing. Mm. Uh, I felt like a loss of inflammation. I felt like my hunger um, was much better. I felt flat as well. Um, and that didn't change for like three months, but that's kind of what got me into the ketogenic diet. Hmm. Yeah. It's, uh, it's so uh, fascinating in the sense that there are a lot of similar people who are doing, let's say, uh, power sports or strength sports. And they seem to, they seem to uh, like fit with the ketogenic template very easily because like the, it's, it's somewhat easier to kind of lose the fat and still maintain their weight class and, uh, perform at their peak at that at time. So like, People like Mark Bell have also used uh, keto for uh, cutting weight and such. Yeah, and there's there's a there's really good um, data that suggests that you know it, it may not be the data that I'm referencing is is always a lot of the time that you'll see like historically the data that we've seen is is that it's good at maintaining muscle. So at the very least, if you're in a caloric deficit and you're losing, you're burning fat, you're losing weight, but it's able to maintain that muscle, which leads to a greater um, strength to weight ratio, which in a sport where you're competing in, in weight classes, that's just great. That's always good. Mm. Yeah. And as a disclaimer for uh, like everyone who is listening to this to an audio, then you should definitely check out Danny's Instagram because the guy is jacked <laughs> and huge. So like I would, I would, I would imagine like uh, no bodybuilder or a fitness guru, I uh, can't imagine that you're able to like maintain that amount of muscle mass and even build it on a keto template. So what kind of uh, reactions have you got from yeah. uh, people? <laughs> Oh man, for the last several years, you know, like, you know, I, I think it's been really funny and interesting to watch because a lot of the time when they say, oh, you know, you know, you can't build muscle on a ketogenic diet. I'm one of the people that they always suggest that, oh, yes, you can. And Robert's, Robert Sykes is another one mm, yeah. that people always talk about. And I really appreciate that. But I felt like up until recently, um, I didn't know how to respond to that because a lot of people say you can't build muscle on a ketogenic diet. And, and now I feel like it's part of my job to explain, yes, you can and how you can do it. And so we've created a keto muscle intelligence program recently. I don't know if you've seen it, but mm -hmm. that's, that's been our biggest goal is to really shed light on how to train correctly if you're following a ketogenic diet and you're trying to build muscle. So it's not so much focused on absolute strength, but it's focused on building muscle, you know, hypertrophy, 
um, and how to manage stress, how to manage your rest periods and your time under tension and all those things so that you can put yourself in the right environment to build muscle on a ketogenic diet. Yeah, it's, it's so true that the, probably the most important factor is the stimulus and actually training in, a, in, the, in the right way because you can definitely do uh, the wrong type of training on any diet and not see any results and you can definitely do the right type of diet like the right type of training on a suboptimal diet or let's say some, some something that is restrictive in some aspects and still see huge gains so the training is probably the most important part <laughs> yeah and and i don't see people talking about that too much you know and, and i know that a lot of people you know they kind of try to figure out the diet they kind of maybe they get a macro calculator or something they're trying to figure things out on their own and then they use a template that they either bought online or that they saw online and a lot of these templates are, they're going to be your traditional standard lifting templates where you're going to have minimal rest. You're going to have a lot of glycolytic activities. You're going to have high volume of lifting and, and high reps. And all of those things are okay if you have carbs in your system to mm -hmm. fuel that type of training, that type of glycolytic training. But mm -hmm. since we don't, um, that over time, in my opinion, would cause a massive increase in cortisol, um, you wouldn't be able to keep up with the energy demands from gluconeogenesis from just fat. So you would be risking lean tissue. And, um, and so what we talk about is, you know, when we, when we created this or when we structured this is, is most of the time you're going to be training in a way that's consistent with the ketogenic diet. So you're going to be resting longer. You're going to be less time under tension. But then on a day where you do increase that volume, then maybe it does make sense if you want to tap into that type of training to um, to, to consume some carbs, carbs pre-workout. And it doesn't have to be anything crazy, um, just enough to power you through that type of workout. And then, you know, post-workout, you have those carbs to modulate any, you know, increases in cortisol. So mm -hmm. that has been working very well, and I think we're getting a good response from it. Um, but you're right, it's just so important, and it's very, very neglected. Yeah, you mentioned uh, that you're doing the ketogenic muscle intelligence program uh, with Ben Dakolsky. So uh, can you talk like a little bit about like what are maybe some of the sneak peeks or some of the main principles of uh, trying to build muscle with keto? Yeah, so that, that's, you know, it, it all started last year, um, right before the summer. We, right around May timeframe, um, our friend Derek Lunsford had just uh, moved from Indiana down to Tampa and he had won the USA, Mr. USA he was a, a big prospect in the 212 weight class for the Olympia. Um, and then he was training with us to get himself ready for Mr. Olympia last year. And um, Ben was in the middle of a strict ketogenic um, phase. And obviously I was always, you know, I was carnivore. So um, what we started to notice was that um, we would have to rest longer or we would hit a wall and we would have to adjust our training um, or we would hit a wall. And even back then, Ben was, it was much easier for him to say, you know what, I, I feel kind of crappy. Let me have a banana pre-workout or something like that. And, and I was very much resistant to that. And so I didn't even tap into it fully last year when we did it. But it's interesting because during this whole process, as we're going through the training, we're having conversations and we're talking about, okay, what is optimal? What's not optimal? Uh, we need to put this all down and we need to create something. So we were done with this program like in August of last year. Mm -hmm. um, and it took almost a whole year to actually get the whole product out. But uh, what people can expect is if they do purchase the program, they'll, they'll get 
access to the beginner program as well as the, the advanced program. Um, the beginner program is um, more, believe it or not, more frequency. So it's Monday through Friday. So it's five days a week. The advanced is four days of frequency. And, you know, I've, I've already had someone ask me who's purchased it, like, why is the advanced more, uh, less days than the beginner? And um, I thought that was a fair question. Um, for me, I did a week of the advanced program and I, and I felt like it was borderline too much for me. Um, I have a lot of intramuscular coordination. So for me, it doesn't take as much to stimulate the muscles and it doesn't take as much to wear them out. So I do much better with that, the volume on the advanced. Um, in addition to that, we have a huge library of uh, not only demonstration videos, because that's another, that's where Ben's expertise really shines above everybody else's, where he teaches you how to build skill and how to uh, make every rep look exactly the same. Because if you cannot uh, build that, that skill component, what does it matter about adding an extra rep or adding an extra set if you're not doing getting the best out of every rep? Mm -hmm. So um, that's where you, the, the coaching cues and the demo videos I think will be very helpful. But we've also shot like a library of frequently asked question videos and, and looking at everything from um, protein consumption to sleep, HRV, all the things that we think are super important, managing stress. Um, and then, of course, we, we go into all the things that can kind of hold you back or, or cause you to stumble as you do this. And, and we built in safeguards for that. So if, if this is happening on week two, uh, where let's say you're, you're putting on too much weight, here, this, here are the adjustments you can make. Or if you're not, you don't feel like you're adding enough muscle or um, you feel like you're, you're too catabolic or, or you're, the ketogenic diet, it's new to you and you've you know, first couple of weeks we have, you know, safeguards in place for that. So I just, I know that a lot of the people that are buying it are people that know me already and follow me. So they're kind of aware of the ketogenic diet, but we're also, um, we also created this program for people who are in Ben's audience who may not be as familiar with the ketogenic diet and who are, you know, bodybuilding fans. So we had to explain it to them as well. And I think it's going to be very helpful for them um, to just, not come into a ketogenic diet without all this good information uh, that can guide them through the process, especially at the beginning. For sure, for sure. Uh, I'll, I'll leave the link to the people to check out in the show notes. But uh, like uh, you probably also seen in the keto sphere that there are primarily like two camps of uh, people uh, who are doing keto. Like they're either high protein, like somewhat moderate fat, or they're strictly the therapeutic range of keto with uh, higher fat and moderate protein. So, uh, which one are you in? Like, uh, which one do you prefer, and uh, what do you you know function best at? Well, I can tell you that the f the whole first year of of ketogenic dieting for me was was very much in that second camp. You know, low protein not even moderate protein. It was low. <laughs> um, you know, a lot of the time my protein was, you know, 120 grams or, or hundred grams. Mm -hmm. There were times when I was cutting down to 6% body fat that my protein was down to 75 grams mm -hmm. and my fat that whole first year was, you know, in the high 70 percentage or, or usually above 80%. And I felt fantastic, you know, but mm -hmm. for me, I started to notice like after about a year or so, um, I, I, it was interesting to see like on my DEXA scan, how I had lost all of this, um, all of my, um, oh my goodness. Now I'm, I'm forgetting the, my visceral fat. So I had zero visceral fat on my DEXA wow. scan, <laughs> which I, I had like 0.45 pounds before. 
and I had lost all of that. But interestingly, I had gained a little bit of subcutaneous fat. And I was wondering to myself, man, you know, maybe I'm eating too much fat, you know, Mm -hmm. and maybe I'm adding too much fat. Maybe it doesn't make sense for me to add all this butter to my steak and all this (laughs) extra, you know, plate fat. And um, I, I actually started to take that away and I, and I noticed that my co- body composition improved and even my performance felt better. So nowadays, uh, I'm very much in the high protein camp. I really do love high protein. Um, I know that there's always a balance between not only, um, you know, performance and, you know, maintaining like optimal health, you know, trying to tap into autophagy when possible and, you know, getting all those benefits of the ketogenic diet you know, keeping um, anabolic processes in in check and not always being in an anabolic state. Um, but that being said, I feel great where I am now. And I, and, I, and the other thing that I forgot to mention is the the part of how I, 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 I try to be as ancestrally consistent as possible. Like I try to eat mm-hmm. like our ancestors did. But then I also have to balance the fact that I'm not doing what our ancestors did. You know, I'm, I'm going to yeah. a gym somewhere and I'm lifting all these weights yeah. and I'm trying to add muscle to muscle parts, you know, that that's, that's just not historically <laughs> has ever happened. And, you know, for instance, one of the products that I, that I've been trialing now I'm in the middle of a, of a, of a, of an experiment with a few other people is uh, this, you can super starch that it's derived from non GMO corn but it's still derived from corn and it's something that's never existed in, in, in history um, naturally. So I kind of have to keep both of those things uh, in my mind. You know, if I'm doing a phase like I am this summer, um, you know, I know that I'm going to be very much anabolic. You know, I'm, my ketones mm-hmm. are probably going to be lower and they have been. Um, but then later in the year, when I kind of move away from this phase, I will have my protein a little bit lower, my, my fat a little bit higher. But generally speaking, my protein is is always high. It's always, you know, at least one times my lean body mass. And a lot of the times it's one times my body in, in grams, my body weight in, in, in um, pounds in grams. So, I mean, you know, I'm having 225 grams of protein right. pretty consistently. <laughs> yeah, like I, I totally, uh, I, I've seen like similar results in, in terms of that the therapeutic ketogenic diet is very good for like just general well-being and mental functioning and even like cutting down on inflammation, which is why you probably saw like this decrease in visceral fat. Uh, but at the same time, there is this sort of, a, you know, your performance at a gym is somewhat suboptimal just because of the lower intake of protein and definitely just adjusting the macros a little bit by increasing the protein like you said, to like about one gram per pound of body weight, I've seen like a, also like a somewhat of a shift in uh, the gym performance and definitely like muscle growth as well. So yeah, I, I believe like just most people, they don't even need to do the standard way of eating, eating keto all the time. And they will definitely like benefit in, in terms of their body composition by just uh, not being afraid of protein and uh, just not trying to deliberately restrict it <laughs> because yeah. it's just not going to work it in the long term. Yeah. And, and the other thing is that, you know, I, I've, I've been, you know, we get into this ketogenic diet and we start to see the, the, the majority of people that are getting into it are doing it for different reasons than we are. You know, we're already healthy. We're not battling anything. And even then, even in light of that knowledge, I still have had a problem, you know, with something as simple as increasing my carb intake, you know, for performance, you know, Mm. this, this whole like 20 grams a day or 50 grams a day, even, you know, I personally don't eat hot, like higher amounts of carbs, like 50 to a hundred grams 
the day, every day, even mm -hmm. though I, I could possibly do that and still be in ketosis. But at the same time, I'm aware of the fact that there is probably a much higher um, threshold for me. Um, sure. And it's good to know, like, you know, when I have a carb up on Thursdays, tomorrow's my high volume day. So I have my carb up and I bring my fat down by, you know, several hundred calories and I bring my carbs up to body weight. Mm -hmm. um, and and I, I'll take in 225 carbs and, and I've done this for the past five, six weeks. And every single time the next day I wake up in ketosis. So yeah. I'm still not <laughs> 225 for one day doesn't seem to yeah. be too much. Yeah. And especially like if you combine it with a workout, then you're essentially depleting your glycogen stores and the carbs you do eat, they're essentially going uh, straight into the muscles and uh, it doesn't gonna affect your ketosis in the, for, by, by the next day, yeah, you're going to be back, basically back in. So that, that's why the cyclical keto diet is somewhat of a, almost like a you know, great hack in terms of uh, getting the performance boost of the carbs while still staying keto virtually like 90, 95% of the time. Yeah. Like, you know, you're, 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 you're not doing a cheat day, you know, you're not doing this, yeah. you're not, you're not going crazy and you're not having high carb and high fat, which I would never recommend. That's just the worst thing you could do. So inflammatory. Mm -hmm. Um, you're actually being strategic, you know, you're, you're, you're planning out the whole day. Um, it's interesting because, you know, you start to feel satiety in a different way on that day. You know, I start to feel satiety on that day more from the volume of food I'm eating than I would from other processes that I usually feel satiety. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, of course, you're, you're basically, if you carry a ton of muscle and you're training in a way that's going to deplete that glycogen, you know, it's almost like you're, you're stimulating a fast, not so much a fast, but you're, you're, you're pushing yourself more towards that fasting. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's super interesting because there are people who, who want to add muscle, but at the same time, they want to feel those benefits of, of autophagy or, right. or just, you know, feel enough to where it's ketones are being produced and they're feeling the effects of the ketones. And I tell them that if you're training in the, in the morning even, or even if in the evening, you know, you need to understand you're going to burn through a bunch of that sugar. Then you're going to fast for eight to 10 hours. You know, you're, you're probably getting very similar effects to mm -hmm. someone who's who's not incorporating those carbs for the workout but doesn't really work out hard and, and doesn't need to do that you know yeah yeah for sure like uh, exercise itself also mimics or it promotes some form of autophagy so uh, like you can definitely speed up the process with you know proper exercise and you don't need to fast all the time that long so yeah like there is definitely like a buffer zone where you can uh, enhance these uh, benefits of the fasting state while still being able to eat, eat and uh, feed yourself and build muscle with it. So, yeah, and I mean, and days like today where I'm I'm off from the gym, you know, it's uh it's now one twenty three and I haven't had a meal yet, you know. So I, I I'm just when I'm hungry I'll eat today, but it, you know I wouldn't be surprised if I fast for twenty hours today, you know, mm. and then I, I get a little bit of that benefit, you know. For sure, for sure. definitely. Uh, you you mentioned that you uh, you were doing a carnivore diet as well. So uh, what are some of the differences you've noticed between carnivore and keto? So when I first started carnivore, I started in um, June of or August of 2017. So just about a year and a few months after um, I was I started my ketogenic diet. And I was not dieting or anything. And um, I, I got leaner. And I wasn't I wasn't, you know, tracking what I was eating. The first month that I did it, I was actually just doing it as part of an experiment that I was doing with uh, Brian Williamson, Keto Evangelist. He's like, mm -hmm. you know, I really like salmon. I really like 
anything that comes from a cow. So I think I'm just going to eat salmon and anything that comes from a cow this month. And I was like, well, let me join you. That sounds awesome. <laughs> and so that's all we ate. We, we ate salmon and then, and, you know, steaks and ground beef and liver and, and anything that came from a cow that month. And I felt unbelievable. I felt amazing. And then the next month I brought in other, you know, meats that were not uh, beef. And it was interesting because I didn't feel quite as good. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but, you know, I still felt good. What I did notice was that this was the summertime and I was I was battling, you know, um, cramps and I just felt like I was even more depleted with my electrolytes. So I had to be even more diligent with my electrolytes. And um, last summer was the second t- second summer of me being a carnivore. And I noticed that if I would have some post-workout carbs, that would help keep me just it felt like I was better hydrated. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that really, really helped me. But the problem was I would only do like 50 work, 50 post-workout carbs and then nothing the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. And that was problematic because I felt cravings <laughs> the rest mm-hmm. of the day. I, I was like, you know, this is just, this is not good. I don't like this. Um, but then when I actually did a whole day of carbs, when I switched to doing a whole day of carbs where I would have small amounts of carbs throughout the day, um, pre-workout carbs, about like 30 pre-workout carbs, and then a large bolus of carbs post-workout, like 120. And then I gave myself one to two smaller meals throughout the day with more carbs in it, like 30 to 40 in in each meal. I felt much better. You know, I felt maybe my blood sugar levels were much more stable. And also there was an adjustment there um, I felt like I probably had developed a little bit of that carbohydrate or that glucose intolerance because hmm. I hadn't had carbs in so long. And I started to notice that in that first week where in, in January or February, I did an experiment where I was doing three days a week at 150 grams of carbs. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was eating like a paleo type of diet those days. And the first week, my blood sugar numbers were all over the place. It was really hard to it looked like there was just no control there, like it was right. out of control. And it was super interesting to see that within like a week and a half, my numbers came down not only back to baseline, but it was interesting to see that they kind of dropped lower than, than the baseline was. And it's been kind of stayed there this whole time. So for me, it's just very encouraging to me. And it tells me like, mm-hmm. I don't know about other people, but for me, this this works very well. And, mm-hmm. I, and it looks like I've I've gotten back a little bit of that metabolic flexibility going back in the, the other direction, you know, of, of, of being able to use glucose, which I think is important if you're an athlete. Yeah, definitely. Like I've also seen a lot of people who are doing, let's say, strict ketosis or like a zero carb diet for a prolonged period of time, then they do develop this uh, slight intolerance towards like carbs or plants in general. So like ideally, I don't, I wouldn't want to put myself into that situation where I wouldn't be able to metabolize carbs and plants. So I, I, I like to be like this flexible and almost resilient in that sense. And I'm kind of like fortunate in a sense because I don't have like an autoimmune disorder. So I don't totally get it for like people who are doing it for health reasons. But ideally, I think like the general person, then they would always want to be somewhat of a, you know, some aspects of cycling and being more metabolically flexible with incorporating some carbs and definitely not not being afraid of the protein and, and such. So I'm, I'm glad that you kind of found this, you know, you, you regained that sort of a 
flexibility because it doesn't make sense to feel awful after eating, let's say, even some healthy carbs like sweet potatoes or something. You should be feeling just fine after eating those and not feel any difference. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's, it's so funny because... <laughs> Like, I, I think that we see a lot of the things in this, uh, in the carnivore community, in the ketogenic community that we see in the vegan community, mm. um, where we see people that are, that are not listening to what their body's telling them. They're like, they're eating a certain way and their body's telling them you're weak, you, you're, you're fatigued or something. And they're just, no, 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 I feel amazing. You know, the power of, you know, being part of a group and, and mm. being part of something bigger than you. And, and there's this guy, I don't know if you've heard of him. His name is uh, Vegetarian Police on, on YouTube. Yeah, he's very, very funny. But I, I really just like watching his videos because I'm not a big YouTube person. But um, when I get a chance, I'll, I'll listen to him. And he's back doing a vegan diet, which I'm just like, what is going on? And why are you doing this? But I think it's because he personally, you know, he, he likes to be vegan, I guess. Or he wants to try to be vegan again. Um, he wanted to see if like he used a, car a carnivore diet to heal himself. And now that he feels better, he's, he's, uh, he can do vegan again. But I just thought there was something that struck me and it really, really stuck out. And it was something that I know he goes, I noticed that when I, when I, <laughs> I don't remember what the analogy was, but it was something like his digestion was just like, you lose that resilience in your digestion when you're a strict carnivore. Mm -hmm. And that's so, so true because I, I know, for instance, in the beginning, when you remove fiber and you, if you're someone who's been having a, quite a bit of soluble fiber in their diets from, from leafy greens and all those things, um, you know, when, when you have that constantly in your system, that, that soluble fiber tends to take over for the colon and it tends to absorb a lot of those fluids. And then when you take that fiber out, the colon kind of needs to wake back up and, and, and get back in shape and start, uh, you know, absorbing fluids again. And a lot of the time that's when, you know, you see people have this, this urgency and they have loose stools. Uh, and that happened to me for the whole first month of being carnivore along with, with my wife. And, um, it's interesting that when I, when I bring in those carb days, I feel like I'm giving myself some more leeway to be able to, uh, digest more foods. And a lot of people may say, well, I don't plan on eating any of these foods ever. So I can do that. I can be strict all the time. Mm -hmm. Well, that, that makes sense. But if you're someone who ever eats out ever, um, <laughs> yeah. you're going to deal with these issues because you're not, you're not seeing what they're putting in your food. You're not seeing the vegetable oils. You're not seeing, you know, this, these sneaky carbs that, that get in. So um, it does make sense to me. And I think one day of a carb up is, is even enough. And so it, all these things seem to fit together very well if you're someone who's active and if you're someone who's trying to add muscle, for, in, for example, um, now you're able to use those carbs to, to help fuel your workouts, especially the more intense ones. But then, you know, you may also benefit from, you know, just what's the word, giving your, your gut microbiome just a little bit more diversity mm. and um, keeping, keeping that bacteria Adaptation. fed. And yeah. Yeah, so I, I do see that. And, and, and that's definitely something that I've changed my mind on. Um, and, and I love, you know, I, I love my carnivores and, and um, they hopefully still look to me for advice because I'm big on eating nose to tail. And I think that's a really important part of it as well. But at the same time, I think for me, I found that I'm in a really sweet spot doing what I'm doing now. 
Right. Yeah. Sounds good. And I'm I'm in the same kind of mindset that I wouldn't want to put myself into the corner and uh, not not leave myself vulnerable for the rest of my life just because of uh, having some sort of an ideology or uh, just uh, sticking to stubbornly sticking to certain beliefs. Because yeah, like a lot of people, they structure the entire identity around their diets, and that's where things tend to. You know, things may work very well for a while, but you know, if something goes wrong, then uh, the people they may not just they won't they won't be able to, or they're they're not open-minded enough to try new things and change change things up. Yeah, and I and I, <laughs> it's so funny with that because it's true. I think I think a lot of people are also thinking that they're they're weak if they if they if they get some take in some carbs or, right. and I I just think to myself I'm like. I'm not going to, if I'm competing, for instance, if I'm competing in a sport, I am not going to get an extra medal if I beat someone and I'm, and, or if I lost to someone and, and I, I didn't have carbs in my system. So, <laughs> Hey, guess what? Look, yeah, I lost, but right. look, I did it without carbs. Well, nobody cares about that. You know? <laughs> so yeah. it's like, you know, and, and you do see, I, I, I do see probably strong indicators that, that there's a there's a nocebo effect happening with some of these people where they're so terrified of eating something that their body is not even um, mm. processing it the right way because they're just like, this is, this is the worst thing ever. Like I'm, I can't have this piece of fruit. Like this yeah. is a banana. It's evil. You know, like, no, no, it's not. I mean, you're not, you're not eating pop tarts. You're not eating, you know, um, you know, wheat bread. You're mm. eating a food that's hopefully organic, whole foods locally. So hopefully you got it locally. Um, and if you are focused on performance, then there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, for sure. And uh, like the, the, it takes out the mental stress about it as well. For instance, yeah, like if you are, you know, planning to go out for like a birthday, then you're not going to freak out if they don't have uh, just that specific food that you want and you can actually be more, uh, you know, liberal or just more uh, flexible with your, with what you eat. Yeah. 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 Uh, what about your family members as well? Like you have uh, two kids and a wife, so how, they're definitely also like eating somewhat of a low-carb ketogenic diet, but uh, how do they structure their ways of eating? Yeah, so Maura is pretty much strict carnivore um, all the time, nose to tail. The whole family eats nose to tail, and I'll go into those details too if you want, but um, you know, she she does incorporate carb ups, but for a different reason. So she'll do on day 19 of her cycle, she'll, she'll bring in some extra carbs, like an extra 30 to 50 grams of carbs, um, which for her, that's a carb up because she's zero carb most of the time. Mm -hmm. So she'll, she'll do a carb up of, like I said, an extra 30 to 50 grams of carbs on day 19 of her cycle. So that's just a few days after ovulation. And then on day one or two, or maybe day one and two of her cycle again. And it's, it's been amazing because she does very well with carnivore, but she, her cycle was shortened to 25 days. You know, mm. used to have the perfectly most predictable 28 day cycle. Like I'll tell you this because with my first son, he wasn't, it wasn't, un, it was unintended and we didn't plan on getting pregnant at the time. But when I knew that she was three days late on that, that first time I knew she was pregnant because mm. she is always you know, her, her, her cycle is always predictable, but over these years, it's gotten shorter and, um, it's crazy. The first month she did that, she was back at 27 days. And then the second month she was at 28 days. And sometimes she forgets to carb up on day 19 and her cycle will be shorter again, which is kind of crazy. So, mm -hmm. um, she does very well with, um, like I said, 
said a carnivore diet, no tail. The boys eat no tail. They were eating um, paleo most of their lives, except for that time period where I was um, I was following like a more of a bro diet, you know, carb cycling with powerlifting. And then I guess because we're kind of blessed that everything we do, we do it together. But if you're doing the wrong thing, that's messed up, you know, because everybody during that time period was, we were having some drive through, we were having some crappy fast food, and we got a little bit lazy, like, you know, all right, here, shut up, let's get this, this, uh, this happy meal and just take that, play with the toy and be quiet. So we did that a little bit. But then finally, in, in 2017 or in 2016, when, when we first started um, a ketogenic diet, we brought them back into like these keto paleo principles, but we weren't perfect with them until August of 2017. It's really interesting because remember I told you I started a, a carnivore diet on August of 2017 and then like maybe two weeks into the month or a week into the month, my wife and I took a trip to Puerto Rico. And, um, at that time she was trying to, um, cut some fat. So she was bringing back, um, she hadn't switched to carnivore yet. She had these big salads back and she was trying to get full off of these really big salads and cut her calories. And there were several nights that she woke up, um, to vomit. It was really weird. She woke up and she felt terrible. She vomited. Um, she went back to bed and she felt better. And, um, I told her when we got on the plane to go to Puerto Rico, I said, look, I have these two podcasts that I've just listened to. One of them is with Dr. Georgia Ede and one of them is with Amber O'Hearn and you got to listen to these, you know? So when she got to Puerto Rico, she had already heard both of them and she's like, you know what, this weekend, I'm just going to cut out all plants and I'm going to see what happens. Mm -hmm. And man, sure enough, three days that we were in Puerto Rico, she lost three pounds, which for her, she's already so lean. Um, she started to feel like ketogenic really helped her with depression and she didn't feel that anymore, but she definitely still felt anxiety. Mm-hmm. And it was just crazy to see that her anxiety was, was better ever since switching to a carnivore diet. And then that weekend at the same time, our boys were with my family and so they were taking care of them. And so we came back and they had had cookies and crackers <laughs> and, um, and these kids, like my oldest was having really bad nosebleeds like back in the day when he would get those nosebleeds they were like gushing blood it was it was terrible to watch and he had allergies and he had eczema and dean also had some eczema and he also had um some behavioral issues and obviously we didn't know at the time that he had sensory processing disorder too so um we didn't know that but um that when we got back from that trip we said to them um well, why don't we do an experiment? Because Desmond had seen that I'd done all these experiments. So they went carnivore for like two days. And that was the smartest thing we could have done because then when we switched them to strict ketogenic, like, and we didn't really, we still to this day don't say that they're strict ketogenic because they probably are in ketosis like 99% of the time because even if they eat like 60, 70 carbs in a day, mm-hmm. these kids, they're, they have pristine metabolisms. They, they, <laughs> yeah. Their activity levels, like they were at 7 p.m. last night. We had just gotten back from them being at jujitsu, and I'm inside cooking, and they went outside. They took my ladder, like my agility ladder. They put it out. They did an obstacle course at 7 p.m., <laughs> and they, they, so their activity levels are through the roof. Yeah. We don't... Uh, we don't necessarily, and we do a lot of education with them. We teach them things. We have conversations. Um, we're not um, making them get their vegetables in. Um, they tend to eat more fruit. 
Um, they do have some vegetables. Um, most of the time, the, the main thing on their plate is meat. So for instance, like I'll, I'll tell you what they had today so you get an idea. For breakfast, they both had um, eggs and uh, bacon or one of them had sausage, but they, they both have eggs and bacon or eggs and sausage most days for breakfast. And then for lunch, um, Desmond had a burger, chicken breast and blueberries. And then Dean had um, a burger, chicken breast, leftover quesadillas that we make on um, the Siete brand um, uh, grain-free tortillas. Mm -hmm. And he also had two little exogenous ketone gummies because we're trying to feed him um, as much exogenous ketones as possible. This is a new thing that we, we've decided that we're, we're going to try. Mm -hmm. um, and we've actually been using just the regular... Um, uh, DL, I guess the, the regular form that most of the ketogenic, um, companies come out with, but we're, we're going to finally, I had a, I have never even tried the prove it brand exogenous mm -hmm. ketones because I, I, I've had like issues with their whole marketing practices and everything. Mm -hmm. And, um, I've finally gotten over that and we ordered some prove it, uh, exogenous ketones for, for Dean only so that we can see if, if that makes a difference, you know, to, mm -hmm. to give him the form that's the most like what's in his body right yeah that's, that's but yeah they don't we don't we don't force them to do it they they're they're low carb paleo ketogenic um they're they can be very much carnivores like my five-year-old i was blown away on monday he had he had three burger patties at four ounces each and mm -hmm. he, it was 12 ounces of meat and that was just lunch <laughs> and my wife was like at dinner she's like you know what? i just tracked dean's like protein intake for the day just because i was curious and it's like double his body weight <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so uh yeah these kids they eat very healthy they're very metabolically flexible we we don't force them to eat a certain way we allow them to eat what they want at birthday parties and on halloween and things like that and i think that's when when people say let them live a little i i agree with that um but the modern definition of that seems to be let them live a little by giving them some candy every single day okay. or or even more often than than an occasional birthday party, and I don't agree with that at all. Mm, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, if you were to be, if you were to leave, let's say, children to do what they want, then definitely they will develop some sort of like health problems or even like behavior problems with uh, social media or smartphones and such. So you definitely have to oh <laughs> apply some some form of restraint to uh, these to the children. Yeah, I, I before you continue, I, I wanted to just mention that because we we used to think um, we because we're also very much like peaceful parenting. We we like to do like free range parenting. We let them do a lot. We believe in their autonomy and we try to keep their autonomy. But we've changed on that, you know, because um, back in the day, I remember I still see Facebook things coming up like years ago on us always even like kind of bragging how we didn't want to um, limit screen time mm -hmm. and. For two reasons, that that became no longer relevant. So the first reason why it was relevant at the time was because when they were really young, they didn't have access to the more addictive sides of screens that I noticed later on may change them a lot, you know, because when they were younger, they were just so much more willing to play outside and, uh, you know, but now that they're older and they, they have access to more things on their iPad, they, they can tend to get stuck in this screen time. And so what we have now is we have basically um, screen limits that if you guys have an iPad, I, I recommend anybody who's a parent to set screen limits because it, can, it will text me 
if they go over their screen limit and will ask yeah, me if I nice. want to give them more time. And I'll say no <laughs> if they're over the screen limit. And the same goes for food. I mean, with food, it's a little bit easier because with food, I can simply say, yes, you can absolutely have that, but I'm not going to pay for it because, mm. you know, if you want to buy yourself something that I don't agree with, I'm not going to sponsor that, but you can pay for it. Yeah. Um, uh, but with, with the screens, we have to be a little bit more, um, take control a little bit more. And we can't just say, no, you, you, you can, it's your body. Cause we tell them it's your body all the time for things. Mm-hmm. Um, but we just basically tell them that, look, um, our two rules in our house is don't encroach on someone's person or property. And the second one is do everything you've agreed to do. And if you are destroying your brain and frying your brain and causing these, um, really damaging dopamine cycles to happen inside of your brain, um, and turning yourself into a, basically converting your brain to the addict brain, you know, more of a, something that looks like an addict brain. I'm not going to allow that, you know? For sure. Um, so that's, that's a really important balance that you have to strike as a parent. Mm, yeah, definitely. And I think you're doing a good job in the sense that oh, teaching, teaching, you. teaching your kids, uh, responsibility at an early age and, uh, kind of, you know, conditioning them to look at how, the, how do their actions have an effect in their future and, uh, like short term results in whatever they're doing so that's a that's a really something that i wish i had learned a lot more sooner as a kid me too too. (laughs) yeah for sure but uh, one thing i definitely wanted to talk to you about is uh, stoicism a little bit and the mindset so you seem to you seem to uh, talk a lot quite a lot about it on your social media so uh, like what what do you find useful about uh, stoicism man you know it's been it's been so amazing um that so many of these changes have happened in the last couple of years like i feel like keto brought my brain into a space where I was just able to consume more information and, and, uh, and absorb more information. And a lot of people don't understand that because they've never felt that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, I really did feel that. And, um, at a particularly difficult time, um, I, I found stoicism and I, I had realized already after just a year and a half of doing a ketogenic diet and, you know, the podcasts and all those things that, you know, this was my first career. I was, I started as a strength and conditioning coach for a college basketball team. You know, that's when I finished grad school, that's what I did. And then I got away from that because I wanted to make more money. And so I did medical device sales and, um, it served me very, very well. I made a lot of money, but I started to have this cognitive dissonance between what I'm doing for a living and what I'm passionate about. And so I had decided that, um, already like in, in June of 20, 17, I had already decided that I, I was going to quit my job one day. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that happened actually in September of 2018. So it took me a little bit over a year to save and all that things. But when I found Stoicism, I found it through reading uh, originally, it wasn't even an original text. It was The Obstacles Away by mm-hmm. Ryan Holiday. Because nice. Robert had, had, had recommended it. And he said, no, I listened to this during my, uh, during my preps and, and you should listen to it. And, um, I, I just was so frustrated, like, because I, I was just, I, I wasn't where I wanted to be. And then I was angry at myself because I felt like I wasn't grateful for an obviously great situation. And, you know, like, why can't you just be happy with your career? But stoicism just helped me navigate that so much better. And I think, and I tell people when they, when they ask me about stoicism and they ask me for reading materials, I still think that a really good introduction to stoicism is the obstacles the way 
mm-hmm. um, because you can talk to different people who practice stoicism, and um, and and I feel like if you ask every single person you ask, might give you a different definition of what it is. Um, some people focus more on the perception. Some people focus more on on developing a strong will and 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 being able to do the same thing over and over and over with with no expectation and with no um, regard to how much time you've been doing it and should you be done? Should you have accomplished your goal by now? Mm-hmm. Should the world have finally accepted you? All of those things. And then of course the action part of it, where it's, which is just taking the right and most effective actions. And um, I just thought that that book, the way he, he talked about it is what he was talking about having the right perception informs the right actions and having the will allows you to follow a process indefinitely with no regard to the outcome. And that was a huge change for me as far as like the paradigm, because I, if, if you were to ask me growing up, if someone would say, would you consider yourself goal oriented? I would have said, yes, absolutely. I'm so goal, goal oriented. Everything is like, you know, I'm, I, I've made goals. I, I create a plan and I accomplish goals, yeah. but you know, that can serve you. But then after a certain time, there's certain goals that take longer. There's certain things that, that don't, fit into a one month or two month or, or one year time frame, And you need to be able to um, really embrace the process. And, and I started to think about this process and he mentioned um, it was uh, the coach from Alabama. Um, he, he was interviewed about it because you, you, you could see that no matter what the outcome was, his, his, his look on his face was the same. You know, his look on his face was the same when they lost a big heartbreak to um, when he won his like whatever fifth national championship, you know, mm-hmm. um, and and he says they said how do you do that? Why why is it that you do that? And he's like I focus on the process. I focus on telling my players each, you know, giving them a process, creating that process, and then stick to this process and stick to what's right in front of you. That was just so helpful. And then of course, during this time frame was also when I was cutting to 6% body fat when I first started stoicism. And I, and I remember all these things were going on. I felt I just was having like a big adult temper tantrum. Mm-hmm. And I called Robert one morning because it was, it was literally so ironic because it was the end of July and I felt like it was time for me to hit my goal. Like mm-hmm. it's been four months. Come on, this is, this is getting ridiculous. I need to hit 6% so I could stop restricting myself and because I don't like restricting myself, blah, 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 all the things that I was telling myself. And I called him and I said, man, this is what's going on. I've, I'm, I'm so mad. I, I woke up this morning and I was a pound heavier. And, and I, why am I a pound heavier? You know, I feel like I should be so much further along. And he just started cracking up. <laughs> he was just <laughs> laughing and laughing. And I was like, why are you laughing? And he's like, because I know that I'm just so happy for you. Like you're about to hit a breakthrough. You know, you're about to like this struggle is, is good for you, you know? And, um, and then I, I actually had a terrible workout in the gym and then I wrote an article and in this article, it was another thing that Ryan holiday talks about, which is, you know, this is bigger than you. And when you focus on not yourself and you focus on gratitude and you focus on how can my situation help others, then you not only find meaning and you, you get through the situation, but now you're also helping people. Mm. So I actually did that and it helped me. And wouldn't you know, man, that the next day I went to go, or two days later, it was, it was in the same week, I went to go get my body fat tested and I hit my goal. And it was just a bad day. And that really was like, 
that was one of the first times that I was like, wow, this is not as crazy or, or, or sad or, or frustrating as it seems in the moment. If I could just have that perspective and remember that, then I'll be really, it'll be very helpful. Mm-hmm. So the combination of stoicism and meditation and yoga for me, I think they're all very, very similar. Um, I think they all fit very well, but it allows you to just respond to life's um, ups and downs in a much more, um, you know, have equanimity. So you yeah. have that equanimity to have, okay. um, you know, your, you know, regardless of what happens, you, you react in the same way. And my wife has, has definitely said that it has changed me. Um, and so I'm just so proud of that because, you know, I'm a high strung person. I'm, I'm, I'm very passionate and crazy and all those things. And I'm a passionate person is likely going to be someone who's going to be more likely to, um, you know, fly off the handle or react versus respond, uh, accordingly. So, um, yeah, that's, that's my introduction. Of course, after that, I, I read ego is the enemy was good. And then, and then of course I got right into my first actual text that I read and it's probably I think it's probably why I'm biased towards him the most because he was like my first love is is Marcus Aurelius you know like his meditations and then and then I read Seneca after that and his letters from a stoic and then I read Epictetus after that and um, I've read a few different stoicism books that are really good um, anti-fragile there was another one that was more of like a, a textbook I have a few of them around lying around um, and, and, and I still, to this day, read the Daily Stoic most of the time, most days, and I'll, I'll get my Daily Stoic quotes that I'll share with people. So I hope people see it because when they see the, the posts, like they eventually ask me, what is that book? You know, and then I tell them, and now I've introduced others to Stoicism, and that'd be awesome if, if more people can, can uh, use it as a, as a tool. Mm, yeah, I, I totally agree. And it's uh, such an awesome uh, mental hack just for uh, reminding yourself that the, the world itself doesn't really care about you. <laughs> and yeah. You are so insignificant, actually, like yes. uh, you're, you're almost meaningless in the grand universe. And yeah. uh, kind of Marcus Aurelius is really good at, at conveying that. Yeah, exactly. And he was, the most, he was the most powerful man in the world. And he yes. practiced like humility and making sure that he didn't take his uh, fortune for granted. And yeah. I find it like just reminding yourself that, yeah, like uh, even, even, even if it is like, um, you know, a good time or a bad time, it doesn't matter because it's going to pass. And, you know, the, the world goes in a cyclical manner of you have ups and downs and you just have to kind of understand that which cycle you're in and you can definitely gain from any cycle as long as you have like the awareness of the situation and uh, being able to like have you know the perspective about what to do about it so to say so you know it it doesn't matter whether it's good or bad times what matters is what you're going to do about it and how you're going to respond yeah and i i I shouldn't leave this out i got two tattoos uh amor fati on one arm and then i got my um, my, uh, memento mori, mm-hmm. memento mori on the other arm. Um, and I, and I got the memento mori, um, shortly after my five-year-old or he was four at the time was hit and run over by a car. Mm-hmm. Um, and thank God, you know, he's a miracle. He survived and, you know, surgeries and all that thing. But it really was a reminder of that memento mori, you know, you, you may die today. And Amor Fati was another one that was important because, it just reminds us that you know whatever happens to us is either good or necessary, and I would argue that probably good and necessary. You know, it's probably both. Exactly. Yeah, that's true. And 
everything can be useful as long as you have enough, uh, let's say, perspective about it and uh, you actually take advantage of it. <laughs> yep, yep. Even, even those uh, long contest preps or trying to cut down body weight. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. Then, then actually, but you can turn it upside down and you can actually start enjoying it to a certain extent of, okay, actually, I'm feeling a bit hungry, which means I'm burning my body fat and I'm actually getting yeah. leaner. <laughs> yes, yes. That's one of the things that my friend Ben uh, Pekulski, he he's, he's big on that. Like, you know, when things get hard, smile, you know, mm. smile. Like, I, I, it's amazing how I, I was in this um, medical community for so many years, you know, being in the ORs with them and being in the, in the break rooms with them and talking to them about, about your typical standard of care stuff. And, and I never really thought about, at least as much as I think about it now, like how much our mindset and our even even physical things that we do can can change the wiring of our brain can change you know our physiology that's just so powerful to know where before I probably wasn't like what do you mean smile how, what is that how is that gonna help my situation uh, I'm still I still you know owe this much money I still you know crash my car whatever it is that that's going on in your life and um, but the minute that you actually accept that and you have that belief um, that that and the belief is a lot of the time informed by prior experience, you know, like that's an easy one. If you have anxiety about the future and you're worrying about something so crazy, you know, you can just ask yourself, what does the track record show? Like have, has this happened before? Have have I ever been out on the street homeless? Have I ever, you know, and no, I have not, you know, and if it does happen and, and, you know, I can't speak for everyone in the world, but at least in the States, you know, it's very hard to find yourself from one day to the next, like homeless or, 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 or not enough food. Um, yeah. It just doesn't happen. You know? Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> well, it's been great talking with you, Danny, and uh, I'm going to start wrapping this up. So before I ask my last question, uh, wh- where can people learn more about you and uh, your work? So uh, dannyvega.ms on Instagram is where I'm most active. Um, and I link to all of my other platforms. But if they want to listen to our podcast, they can go to hello or not hello. That's my, my um, email. Um, but fatfueled.family. Um, if they want to email me, they can email me at hello at fatfield.family. Um, and uh, that's pretty much it. Danny Vega on Facebook, um, our blog. We have stuff on the blog, on the website. We have the podcast, of course. And, of course, Keto Muscle Intelligence, which I'll, I'll send you the, the link for that. Awesome. And uh, my last question is, uh, what's this one piece of advice or a habit you wish you adopted sooner that improved your body and your mind? Wow. Um, I think walking would be the most important thing. I mean, I, I, I've just been seeing so much on, you know, I, I noticed like when you read this research on, on people who walk regularly, um, this is across all diets, all, you know, genetic types and, and lifestyles. People who walk tend to live longer and healthier lives. And you you know, I, I pick walking because number one, I don't think people do it enough. And if we look at back in the day, we used to walk a lot more, you know, yeah. we, um, based on what I've heard recently, like, um, Ben Greenfield had an author on his podcast recently who wrote a book called a new path. And I, I don't know if you've heard of it, but he's, I think an anthropologist, um, and he's looking at, you know, just historical activity levels. And it's interesting. I was not, um, I was not expecting to hear that we burn around the same amount of calories as they did back then, but it's because number one, our brains are performing so much more complicated tasks than theirs did. And number two, because we do this weird thing where we go inside of a box and we we lift for like an hour a day. And so 
our movement patterns are very different. Like, whereas they walked a lot more throughout the day, which I would assume, it, or I, I definitely am going to speculate this. I, I, I strongly believe this, that it's going to put them in a much more friendly fat burning environment where they're living a lifestyle that they're not attached to screens. They're walking more yeah. They're they're So they're burning more fat, you know, and, and we may be burning as many calories a day because of what we're doing. But I don't think that number one, we're, we're not, we're, we're much more stressed. We're, we're much more just high strung. We're, we're not burning as much fat. And so walking would be that low hanging fruit that someone could just say, let me walk every day, once or twice a day for 20 to 30 minutes at a time at the beginning and at the end of the day, you know, that's an easy one. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you're so right in a sense that people think that hunter gatherers burnt a bunch of calories, but when you look at the data, then uh, the modern people, they burn the same amount of calories, but uh, just there's a difference between the diet and uh, the intensity of the exercise as well. So <laughs> I too. Yeah, of course the diet. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yep. And it's a good advice. So yeah, it's almost like a walking meditation if you're yes. like listening to some audiobooks at the same time. Yeah, yeah. They kill two birds with one stone. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Well, it was great talking with you and uh, I'll definitely keep in touch with you in the future. So maybe we'll do it sometime another time. Absolutely. Anytime. All right. Thanks for coming. All right. That's it for this episode of the Body, Mind and Format podcast. If you want to support us, then I would greatly appreciate it if you could leave us a review on iTunes and the other social media platforms. You can now order my new book, Metabolic Autophagy, that covers a lot of the same topics that we talked in here. It's a collection of certain lifestyle habits and practices that prioritize longevity as well as performance. To support this podcast, you can also become a Patreon and get exclusive video lectures from my biohacking bootcamp that covers circadian rhythms, intermittent fasting, autophagy, resistance training, biofeedback, and many more. But other than that, my name is Seem. Stay tuned for the next episode. Stay empowered.